Amen. I'm going to read from John chapter number 10, verse number 10. Uh, most of you can probably quote it with me, but I'm going to read it. And um, we're going to hop off and, and, uh, and, and see what the Lord has to say to us tonight. John 10, verse number 10. I'm reading in the English Standard Version. And it simply says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus speaking. He said, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Somebody say that. Have it abundantly. Jesus said, I've come that they would have life abundantly. And um, even the, the scripture in the Greek really means super abundantly. Uh, an amazing surplus of life that he wants us to have. And so tonight I want to talk a little bit about the good life. Amen. Some of them are living the good life in Israel tonight. Uh, others are living the good life on spring break this week. But we're living the good life right here on Wednesday night. Amen. Amen. Let's lift our hands and let's just ask the Lord to touch this lesson tonight. Lord, we pray, God, that you would come and talk to our hearts, talk to our spirits and our souls. God, I pray that you would open up our mind to receive the revelation, the understanding that you want us to have to be the kind of Christians you want us to be, God, to live the lives that you want us to live. God, we pray that your anointing be with us tonight, God, and help us to know the depths of your love in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen. God bless. You can be seated. Uh, a few weeks ago, I found a fascinating new show, uh, and it's called Selling Jets. Anybody ever seen this show, Selling Jets? I was scrolling through because there's nothing ever good to watch. And uh, I found Selling Jets. It's a show that's made after the fashion of the show House Hunters. How many of you know House Hunters? They, they go and shop for houses. You, you know it because one's a pencil salesman and the other one does arts and crafts on the side and they're shopping for like a $2 million home. <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> but they're living the good life. And uh, th- this show is kind of after the fashion of House Hunters only... In this show, you watch as very wealthy people shop for an airplane. They make a choice and then they negotiate with the sellers. Uh, I later uh, kind of figured out that on this channel, I recorded a few episodes. I found it interesting. I love to see the inside of these private planes and, and just imagine what it would be like to go shop for a seven or eight million dollar plane. And wouldn't it be grand that anytime you wanted to go uh, hunting or, or, or go off on vacation, you just go out and you hop in your plane and you take off. And but but I later figured out that this whole channel that I was watching was devoted to shows about wealthy people and their purchases. There's a show called Selling Jets. There's a show called Selling Mega Mansions. It came on right after that. And then later on that night, there was another one selling private islands. And you get to watch as these people go and they shop for a private island. And uh, they give us common folks a small glimpse into what it would be like to live the good life, right? The good life. You see inside of these incredibly ornate, beautiful uh, facilities and compounds. And, you know, it's, it's the good life. That's the whole idea of the channel. It's the life where you can spend seven million dollars on a plane that you might use once a month. It's the life where the biggest decision is whether you want a home with nine bathrooms or ten bathrooms. 
and uh, the parade of tech billionaires and trust fund families is constant. And the idea is that they are living the good life. I watched one CEO's wife cry that she wanted a larger plane with a laboratory and two more seats. The loving husband was so moved by his wife's tears. She said, we've worked so hard for this and we should just go ahead and make this leap. He was so moved by his wife's tears that he said, it's okay, baby. I love you. We'll spend the extra million. How many of you would love to be able to just say that? Go ahead. Get the bigger airplane. Meanwhile, here we are debating whether we can afford to get the kids queso at dinner. (laughs) Can anybody feel me tonight? Meanwhile, we're shopping at Old Navy and just wishing we could afford Gap. (laughs) They're living the good life. We're down here making real world decisions, right? But my point tonight isn't to teach on the deceitfulness of riches, although riches are deceitful. But I want to bump our attention onto what the scripture says the good life really is. It's not about buying airplanes or mega mansions, or private islands, or having all of these things uh, at your fingertips. But Jesus said that I have come that you might have life, and that you may have it to the full. God is interested in the quality of our living. He is a good God. Does anybody believe that? He's a good God, and He is interested in the quality of our life. He does not want to withhold any good thing from us. I really believe that. And I think more of us need to believe that. That God wants the best stuff from me. That doesn't mean that he wants to give me a mega mansion. Because there's a lot of people who get lots of money and they end up in lots of trouble. And lots of turmoil. The Bible says that that God is able to give us wealth without the turmoil and the pain that comes from wealth. And he's talking about a different kind of wealth. The Bible talks about those who lay up treasures in earth, but then also contrast it with those who lay up treasures in heaven and are rich toward God. And so I just want to bump our attention onto that tonight because God loves us and he wants the best life for us. That is not limited to material things, but it does include it on some level. And listen, listen to what 2 Peter 1.3 says. It says, His divine power has granted to us, listen to this, all things that pertain to life, somebody say life, and godliness. Now, I know, I know. Is it all right if we just get, there's just a few of us, we just get down here where we live tonight. Nobody know the difference except for Facebook. Let's get down where we live. I know that as Christians, sometimes we think of God only in the context of the super spiritual. That God wants to give me the, the gifts of the spirit and an anointed ministry and all of these things. But listen to what it says. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life. And to godliness. Does God want to give us those good spiritual things? Absolutely. But God also wants, through His divine power, to give to us all the things that pertain to life. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Let me tell you this. God didn't just 
come to redeem you spiritually. He came to redeem the entire encompassing scope of your life. He wants you to have the best life. The other day, a friend of mine was invited to... uh, I probably shouldn't tell this, but he was invited to uh, Mike Pence's Bible study at the White House. He was in Washington with his wife, and his wife uh, was there. She works for a large computer company. And uh, through a, a hurricane, they, they came to uh, a relationship. They met the president and many of his staff. Um, it was in Houston during the uh, hurricane, just uh, uh, Harvey, just a couple years ago. And um, so they, they got to know this Washington staffer. And this staffer reached out to them and said, hey, we saw you were in town. And uh, we, uh, we want to invite you to Mike Pence's Bible study. Mike Pence has a Bible study of about 40 or 50 high-powered uh, Washington people. And so they got to go and sit in on this, um, this Bible study in the White House. Just an incredible opportunity. Just an awesome opportunity. I would love to be able to go sit in one of the most powerful places in the world and do Bible study. That's just awesome. But I asked him, I couldn't help myself, I got a little sarcastic streak. I asked him, I said, when did all this start for you? Because he's always blessed. I mean, he's just always blessed. I said, did you pick up Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now, and then all this stuff just started happening for you? (laughs) I said, what happened? Tell me the secret, man. And he's living the best life that he can live, the blessed life, right? And I was picking at him about it. But let me tell you this, God wants to open up to us All kinds of opportunities and all kinds of avenues and doors through which he wants to bless our life. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us precious, his precious and very great promises. So two things he's granted to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness. And the second, that he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Not only does God deliver us from the consequence of sin. Not only does he save us and bring us to new life. But his divine power has granted to us all things. Somebody say all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness. God is interested in the details of my life. He's interested in giving me the best life, the good life that he has for me. He's interested in blessing me. And let me tell you, as long as you don't believe that, you can't receive that. As long as you don't believe that God wants to bless you, you can't receive it. Because we receive through faith. And so we are well aware of the godliness part, but sometimes we overlook that He's granted all things that pertain to life too. And to put it simply, God cares about the quality of life here and now. He isn't just interested in the eternal impact of the cross, but He is investing His power in the daily impact of, Of his divine power. Not just in the grand scheme. But in the details. It says he's granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so throughout scriptures we are given windows into what the good life really looks like. 
It's, it's kind of like this show. One of, one of the shows on this channel is called Behind the Gates. And what they do is they take you into these mansions that are for sale and they let you see what's behind the gates. And that's what I want to do today. Is I, I just want to walk through those gates for a few minutes tonight. And I want us to catch a glimpse of what the good life really is. It's not mega mansions. It's not airplanes. It's not all of those things. But what the good life really is. We are shown the incredible, abundant life that Jesus has offered us. And so we're just going to, is it okay if we just take a little tour through the scripture? I, I'm not going to preach on one topic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cherry pick a few topics about the good life. And I, I mean, I, this could be a year-long series, trust me, because that's the goodness of God. Is you, can't, you can't plumb the depth. So if I leave anything out tonight, I'm admitting it up front. I can't cover it all. I can't cover it all. God is just too good for me to cover it all. And so tonight I just want to look at a few passages that are going to show us the good life. And the first one is in John 15. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read from verse 1. And I'm going to read throughout the chapter a little bit. But John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the metaphor in John chapter 15 is of a vine and its branches. The vine is the source and uh, sustenance of life for the branches. And the branches must abide in the vine in order to bear fruit and live. So Jesus, of course, is the vine and the branches are his disciples. Somebody said, that's us. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And Jesus uses this metaphor to illustrate the difference between those who have a fruitful life and those who are unfruitful. Now, there is several things to note in this passage, and, and we'll get deeper into it. But first, I just want to say that fruitful living is the norm for a Christian. That is the Christian norm. If you're not bearing fruit, that's not normal. That's not what God intended. It's not what God wanted. Fruitful living is the Christian norm. Jesus laid down his life, he said, so that we would have life more abundantly. The Greek communicates it as superabundance or a massive surplus. God did not intend for us to barely squeak by and survive, but he wants each of us to have a spiritual surplus that gives life to those around us. How can life be more abundant? I'll tell you how. It's when life begins to produce life. Jesus said to Adam and Eve in the garden, be fruitful and multiply. And so they started having children, right? Be fruitful and multiply. It's life producing life. Some people are more fruitful than others. I don't see the McClanahan's, but they're very fruitful. <laughs> some are a little fruitful. Some are a lot fruitful, Right? Be fruitful is to, to produce life from life. In John 10, he called it the abundant life. It is a super abundance of life. If you picture it as a cup, it's like a cup that fills up and then begins to overflow onto something else. And, and this is what John 10, Jesus is talking about. And then in John 15, he calls it fruitfulness. 
and even an overflow. In each case, the words are different, but the meaning is the same. It is living in such a way that we are giving life to something that is beyond ourselves. We were not placed here to be consumers. We were placed here to be producers. It's life producing life. And, and that is what superabundance is all about. It's when you've got so much of the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the blessings of God that what has been poured into you begins to spill out onto others. That is the good life. It's when you have received so much of the goodness of God. Man, I feel the Holy I, I know we're not preaching and running out, but I feel the Holy Ghost. It's having so much of the goodness and the blessings and the promises of God that it begins to not just give life to you, it begins to overflow and give life to everybody else around you. It begins to spill out of your life. You've gotten so much, so filled up with all of the goodness of God that it begins to bless others. You don't even mean to. You're not even trying to. It's not out of effort. It's just out of the goodness of God. It begins to spill out of your life and begins to bless other people. Begin to help other people. Begin to lift the faith of other people. I'm talking about the good life. And so Jesus says that fruitful living is the Christian norm. He says every... Every branch, uh, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, listen, everybody will either experience the pruning or the parting. You're going to get cut one way or another. That's what the Bible's saying. He says, every branch that produces no fruit, it's cut off, hewn down and cast in the fire. Lack of fruitfulness. You end up separated from the kingdom, from the Savior. But the unfruitful will be cut off and cast in the fire. And they will be removed from the vine altogether. But on the other side of things, you have those who are fruitful. And you know what God does to those who are fruitful? He cuts them. It's the same thing that happens to the unfruitful, except for there's purpose in this kind of pain. There's purpose in the pruning because he says he he cuts it so that it will bear more fruit. So why weren't they fruitful? Why, Why weren't the unfruitful fruitful? Because they weren't receiving life from the vine. Therefore, they couldn't give life by bearing fruit. There was something interrupting the process. They were connected, but unproductive. Something was wrong within the branches. And we know the problem wasn't in the vine because the vine was producing fruit in the rest of the branches. And so in these branches, there was something that went wrong, some inner problem within the branch that kept it from receiving the life that it needed in order to produce life. So the vine dresser cuts away those who, whose own inner issues are separating them from the life-giving source of the vine. 
Notice, however, that even those who are fruitful go through the pruning process. They are cut, but in a different way. They're pruned so as to become even more fruitful. And the dead parts are cut away so that that branch can grow and live and produce fruit at a higher plane and level. And so we get to choose whether we are pruned or whether we are parted. When there's stuff inside of us that keeps us from being fruitful, that we've got to deal with the inner issues that block us from receiving life. Because you can be connected, but not receiving life. And so... We get to choose whether we're pruned or parted. I'll say this. If you're going to be cut, you might as well be pruned. (laughs) Right? If you're going to get cut one way or the other, if you're going to go through pain one way or the other, why not go through the way that produces life, that produces fruit, that you come out better than you went in? Why not go in that way? And so here's the lesson is that we need to stay connected to the vine. How can we be sure that we're living the abundant and good life? Jesus answers in verse 5. He says, whoever abides in me produces much fruit. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, listen to this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Our fruitfulness does not come From personal effort. But from productive connection. Do you you realize what I'm saying? I'm saying. I'm not here to tell you to try harder to be fruitful. Because apart from the vine. You can do nothing. Not even a little bit. This is where we deceive ourselves. Well Lord. I'm just going to run with your ideas, God. I, I read it. It's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to run with your ideas, God. There's a difference between a good thing and a God thing. And understand this. Is he saying that apart from me, disconnected from me, you can do nothing of spiritual value that produces life. You can produce nothing unless you're connected with me. So if you're disconnected, you can tell somebody the truth. But it won't bring them to faith. If you're disconnected from me, you can do good things. You can, you can do good stuff, but you can't produce life unless you are connected to the vine. And so our fruitfulness doesn't come from personal effort. It comes from productive connection. What am I talking about? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So sometimes we try to do God things without a close connection to God. We take God's ideas and words and run with them. We try in our own effort to live abundantly and we end up frustrated and wondering why we are not fruitful, why we are not producing life. And let me tell you something. It doesn't come from doing the right things. It becomes from being connected and intimate with the right one. Jesus says those who abide in him produce fruit. And I don't care how talented you are, how, how well you know the Bible, how good of a teacher you are, how, how good of an evangelist you are. If you don't have a personal walk with God, you're not producing life in anything. I'm going to pat myself on that. That's good. <laughs> that is good. Because there are a lot of people that think that they can just do the God thing. 
And they can just throw all of their energy and worldly talent and effort and, and humanity into this good thing. But understand this. Jesus says that where your life produced abundance comes from is relationship with me. And so I can't get up here and say anything that will give life unless I'm first abiding in Christ. Unless I'm first connected with Him and intimate with Him. Jesus says it's not about your ability and your effort. But your fruitful living comes from close connection with me. He says that the blessings that come out of your life have everything to do with how closely you walk with Jesus. It's not about knowing the right stuff. It's not about being able to sing the right tricks and trills or, 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 or hit the right symbol at the right. It's not about all that stuff. It's about how close do you walk with me. And Jesus understood that there would come people that would use religion and use the church for their own uh, personal ambitions. But he says if you want to have an, the best life, the good life, then you've got to have a walk with me. Somebody say, the good life, it's in your walk. It's in your walk. That's where the good life is. It's not in your ability. It's not in your talent. It's not in your effort. It's not in, in mounting up this, this huge pile of things that you can say, look what I did for you, God. Where are the results? No. It's in constant communication and relationship where Jesus isn't just a God that you believe in, but he is your source. He's the source you're constantly connected to. He's where Jesus even said, I can do nothing. I can do nothing in my flesh. Only what the Father shows me, that can I do. Only what the Father says, that can I speak. And this is the model of the Christian way, is that we're not just taking a manual and trying to apply it at our own will. But it takes a relationship with Jesus Christ to lead somebody to the life giver himself. To produce fruit, it takes connection. And you know what? We can try everything else in the book. We can try it all. We can try every method, every strategy that's working for everybody else. I heard one pastor say it this way. He said, he said I believe that almost anything will work with prayer and fasting. And almost nothing will work without it. Why? Because it's really not about the methods. It's really not about all that stuff. The, it's really about connection. Are you abiding in Christ? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about on Sundays. I'm talking about abiding. Abiding is every day. Abiding is all the time. There's no time that you're not connected. There's no time that you're not connected to the vine. You're producing fruit because you're consistently connected and walking with God. And so abiding is the key to good living. It's the key to the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. It's the key to life producing life. Abiding, listen to this, is the key to answered prayer. John fifteen seven. if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So if you wait to start praying till there's a desperate need and you haven't walked with God in many years, there's no guarantees. <laughs> But he said, if you abide in me, and if my words abide in you, what does that mean? It, it, and I skipped over a couple verses, but he talks about walking in the commandments. You can't walk in disobedience and be connected. But he said, if, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you can pray and ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
Why? Because God trusts those that are connected to him. Because you cease to be your own instrument, your own vine. Now you're producing from him. And so he's empowering what you're doing because you're an extension of his kingdom, of his rule, of his reign. And so abiding is the key to answered prayer. You want to see answered prayer in your life, pray every day. And I don't mean just pray every day. I don't mean just quote a, you know, good bread, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. That's not abiding. But it'll get the job done when you're in a hurry. (laughs) Amen. Anybody ever pray that because you're just hungry? (laughs) that's That's not abiding, though. That's not abiding. Abiding is having a walk with God, a relationship with God. It's opening your heart, your mind, your soul to God every day. And so abiding is the key to answer prayer. Not only that, abiding is the key to prosperous living. Listen to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, I I heard this on a podcast. I'm going to share it. It wasn't really in my notes. It's not really what I'm preaching about. But he talks about meditating on the word of the Lord. How many of you, when you think of meditating, you think of, you know, sitting in a lotus position saying, you know, Lord, because we don't say the alm part, right? (laughs) Lord. As a kid, when I heard meditate in thy law day and night, I thought, well, you know, I guess we've got to sit still and just calm, you know, or whatever. But do you know what meditating is? It's to, to think a thought over and over and over. Anybody ever worry about anything? Like just something that, that's just worried you, that's just nagging at you. Did I pay that bill? And you walk around all day and you, did I pay that bill? I don't know if I paid that. Did I pay that bill? Did I turn on? Anybody ever wonder if you turned off the oven or not. That's worrying, like just worrying, and you can't get it out of your head, and it's just over and over again. If you're good at worrying, then you're good at meditating. Because this is what David said. He said, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Night. In other words, it's holding a verse of scripture in your mind. It's staying close to the kingdom. It's 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 over and over again engaging your spirit with the word of God and meditating on that word. Has anybody ever done that with a scripture? Just I want you to try it tomorrow. Just a little extracurricular homework for your spirit is is find a verse, get the verse of the day, and just think about it all throughout the day. Make yourself think about it. Worry about that verse. What does it mean? What does God want to say to me through it? And watch what God does. God will show you something. In his law doth he meditate day and night. And he, listen, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his Forth is fruit in his seas, he's fruitful. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He's connected to God. He's repudiated walking in the counsel of the ungodly. He's turned his back on the world. He's meditating in God's word. He has an intimate walk relationship with God. He's planted He's not just visiting God. He's planted by the rivers of living water. And he's fruitful. And because he is connected to this abundant life source, the Bible says, whatsoever he doeth will prosper. Whatever he puts his hand to do, he's going to prosper. Because he is abiding. He is connected. He is planted. 
And so fruitfulness glorifies God and gives us an overflowing life. John 15, 8 says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Bearing fruit is not about showing off or bragging to other Christians. But God says that when you are fruitful, when you are life producing life, it glorifies God. And listen to this in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Somebody say full. It's filled all the way up. In fact, the, the, uh, the Greek there really means to be overflowing, that your joy may be overflowing. This is the picture of the good life. I'm walking so close to Jesus that my life is overflowing with joy. He didn't say like only when things are going good, but my life is overflowing with joy. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. When I'm close to Jesus, I can have joy even in sorrowful circumstances, even in tribulation. I've got a connection with Jesus that makes me fruitful. And he says, I've said these things to you that your joy may be full and overflowing even. I've said these things so that it's not just about you, but you become a life that is producing life. Somebody say, that's a good life. It's in your walk. It's in abiding in Jesus Christ. It's in having a close relationship with Him. Let me just say here that if you don't have a daily prayer life, wake up a half hour earlier starting tomorrow and spend time with Jesus every morning. Everybody can give a half hour of sleep up. Amen? Everybody can do that. That's only a half hour. You waste a half hour just waiting on somebody to get dressed every day. <laughs> Amen? You, you waste a half hour waiting in line at the bank. Everybody's got a half hour. Wake up and give a half hour to reading Scripture and listening to the voice of God and staying close to Jesus. Not only that, it's not just in the morning time, but walk with Him throughout the day. The Bible says, when thou risest and when thou, thou sittest down. In other words, as you go in the way, you should be talking about the things of God and stay connected to the vine. And watch how good your life gets when you walk with Jesus. There's no better life than living for Jesus. It's the good life. It's in your walk. Not only is it in your walk, but it's in your words. Somebody say it's in your words. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil. Or reviling for reviling. How many of you use that word on a daily basis? Don't revile me. You walk into work. You guys been reviling lately? It's not a word we use very often, is it? That word reviling literally means verbal abuse. That's what it means. To abuse verbally. And he says, do not repay evil for evil or verbal abuse for verbal abuse. But on the contrary, bless for this you were to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So listen to what he says there. He says, do not repay evil for evil or verbal abuse for verbal abuse. But on the contrary, he's drawing a contrast here. Bless them for this to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Anybody catch what he says there? How you speak 
can determine whether you obtain a blessing. Verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? Why? Why not respond the way that they came at you? Why? Why? Why bless them when they are reviling you? Why do that? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter tells us that when we are reviled, not to return the favor. But on the contrary, we should bless them in return. Let's be honest. This ain't easy. The next time somebody is up in your face and is saying all sorts of things to you. I shouldn't tell this, but a few months ago we were walking into Target. In case you didn't know, there's a little Irish in our background. Just going to preface my comments with that. And there was a lady there who was cussing and and she was using the F word loudly. I had my, my children with me and I let it go for about five seconds Ten seconds, and I had enough. And I just I stopped because we were walking up to her. She was standing right in front of the front door. And I said, "Ma'am," she said. She turned and looked. Said, "You talking to me?" I said, "Ma'am," I said, "Please don't say that kind of stuff in front of my children. Go wherever else you want to talk like that, but please don't do that in front of my children." Let me tell you something. The words that came out of her mouth from that point forward. I tried to calm things down, y'all. I tried to be a good Christian. <laughs> I said, listen, listen, I'm a, I'm a local pastor on staff at a church down here down the road. And uh, I'm not looking for trouble. I'm just asking you to be respectful of other people. I was very Christian. And she came back and she decided to curse our church. I won't use the words or even refer to the words that she, she said about our church. She didn't know what church it was. I didn't tell her. But she didn't like the, the fact that I brought up that I worked at a church. She began to curse the church. And her and, and a group of her friends got around me, and they, they all started barking at me at one time. I saw a lady that works out at the gym. I worked out, and she, took, she ducked her head and turned the other way. <laughs> I don't know him. Pretty soon the manager came over, and by the grace of God, I was able to not lose my cool. But let me tell you something. I was tested. The Bible says he won't put more on you than you can bear. I was right there. (laughs) It came close. (laughs) You know, we've all had those moments. When you are reviled, Peter said, don't don't return it. Bless them in return. I got to say, I didn't bless them. I didn't curse them, but I didn't bless them either. (laughs) But the word blessed there is eulogio. Sound familiar to you? Anybody ever heard of a eulogy? It's the, the root word um, that eulogy comes from. Eulogio, which means to bless or to invoke a benediction upon, to, to bless, to praise, to uh, bless with prosper, uh, uh, to, to proclaim pros, uh, prosperity on them, essentially. So Peter says, when they roll up on you in the front of Target <laughs> and they start dropping words, that is not okay for children to hear. And start saying things about your church and the kingdom of God. 
What you're supposed to do is bless them. Eulogize them. You, you've been to a funeral where somebody wasn't the best person, but you would never know that from the eulogy. It's one reason I love our pastor. I've heard him get up at some funerals and just be brutally honest, and, and everybody still love him afterwards. We've all heard that. How many of you have been to one of those? Let's just wave our hands. Everybody knew that they were a, a sinner and hateful and ugly, and you get up and, and, and you think, who is this person that they are talking about? They just got eulogioed. They were blessed, right? We were blessing them. And it's hard when you're being cursed. The natural reaction is a curse in return. But the blessed life is marked by a dog determination to set a guard upon the words that we use. He says, the outcome of our life is determined by the words that we speak. And if you don't get anything else tonight, and if I don't get past this point to my third and final point, it's worth it just to camp out here for a little while. Because the outcome of your life is determined by the words that you speak. Peter tells us that he that will love life and see good days will keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking to see. There was a time when I was pastoring in Arizona and there were some people that were pulling people away from the church. They had left. They weren't happy with some decisions that I made as the pastor. And my wife and I would sit down every night. Every day at lunch, every night at dinner, and we would talk about it. Well, they're wrong for this, and that ain't right, and, you know, I'm an idealist by nature, so I just couldn't believe that people would be so crazy as to be carnal and wrong. But you know what we did? We talk, How many of y'all do this when you have a problem? You just talk about it, and then you talk about it some more, and then you say the same thing you said earlier, hoping that it will make you feel better than it made you feel last time. Oh, I'm preaching right. <laughs> That's what we were doing every day for weeks, talking about it, just talking about it, just talking about it, yeah, 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 yeah. Complaining, whining, can't stand it. And we weren't happy with life. All of a sudden, our happy little life was gone. We were miserable. We were low. We were depressed, unhappy. And I was doing Bible reading in the morning, and I read First Peter. And it's like the hand reached up out of the book and just marked my mouth. <laughs> Anybody, Jesus, do that to you now. It's like a hand come up out of the scripture and slap me in the face. He that will love life and see good days will refrain. You, I heard a great throne voice from the throne emanating saying, shut up, Rory Chance. <laughs> Stop talking about it. Stop speaking about it. Stop giving all of your energy in your life. To this problem. It's a little thing. It's not a big thing. Five years from now, you won't even be thinking about it anymore. Why are you going to ruin and destroy your life over what you're feeling right now? He said, he that will love life and see good days will refrain his lips from speaking evil. And his tongue and his lips from speaking deceit. The Lord showed me. That if you keep talking about it, the quality and the outcome of your life is directly impacted by the conversations that you're having every single day. And that's powerful. Because when you realize that, you can change your outcome right quick. 
I just want to encourage somebody. If you're here and you're going through something and y'all been hashing it out, stop hashing it out. Call a moratorium. Sign a treaty. Do whatever you got to do. Meet at the table and sign a contract. We are not talking about this anymore. We've been reviled, but we're not going to revile back. We're going to bless. We're going to eulogize them. We're going to act like it's their funeral. We never heard of a bad thing they've done. <laughs> right? We're going, to eul- we're going to eulogio our way through this. We're going to bless them in response because the quality of our words is directly reflected in our outlook and enjoyment of life. There is a direct connection between our inner man and our words. Luke 6:45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Listen to this for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many of you have ever used that verse? You know what I mean by use it, right? It's like when you're in a family fight and somebody says something. Well, you must really mean it because you said it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You ain't been Christian long enough. You don't know how to use these verses as weapons. (laughs) And that's a God's honest truth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You must have really meant it because you said it. That's what we... How, how many of you have thought of it that way? That's how I use it. We've used it to say whatever comes out of the mouth must be deeply rooted in the heart. But the truth is we all say stuff we don't mean. We all say stupid stuff in stupid moments. And we let our emotions get the best of us. And it doesn't mean that there's an abundance of that in our heart. What the passage is saying is that whatever lives in your heart in abundance will inevitably come out in your speech and ultimately in your life. Peter, after he's betrayed Jesus, they said, aren't you one of the Galileans? He said, no, no, not me. I don't know him. And they said, thy speech betrayeth thee. You know, your speech will tell on you. The stuff you talk about is telling a story. How did they know? Because Peter was identified as Galilean. They could tell who he was by how he spoke. And the same is true of you and me. That if I'm always complaining, if I'm always questioning, if I'm always doubting, my speech will betray where my heart really is. Why did Peter speak like a Galilean? Because he had been a Galilean his whole life. He was from Galilee. He lived there. And let me tell you something. I didn't grow up in Louisiana, but, but my kids are. And they have a little bit more of a twang than I do. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but Jaira, she just moved here five years ago. She spent more of her life elsewhere, but she sounds like she was born and raised here from the day it started. Because she's been living here. She can't help but speak what she has heard and where she's been living. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's the same. Peter couldn't deny being a Galilean because that's who he had been all his life. There was an abundance of Galilee in Peter's past and in Peter's history. And any time that there's an abundance of something in our history and in our past, it's going to come out in our speech. If I'm always complaining, questioning, doubting, my speech will betray me. If that's where I live in here, it's going to come out here. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My speech will betray me. And the tongue, hear this, is an indicator of my heart. How many of you believe that? 
It's an indicator of my heart. I can tell what's in here by what I spend all my time talking about. And listen to this. And out of the heart are the issues of life. So to guard the tongue is to guard the heart, which is to keep the wrong stuff from coming out in your life. The tongue is an indicator of my heart. Not only that, but I want to say this. On the other side of things, the, tr- the tongue is also a transmitter of faith. So I was, I was praying a few weeks ago in devotion time. I ran across the scripture. And I, I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, how do you get more faith? You know, where, do, or where does faith come from? Not, not how do you get more. Not Lord increase our faith. But I was saying, Lord, where does it start? The Bible says that God has given unto every man a measure of faith, right? So where, where does it start? How do we receive faith how do you give faith out? How, how, do, how, do I, how is it transmitted? And as I was praying, I was sitting there, and it was just kind of a rhetorical question. I wasn't really looking for an answer, and a thought popped in my head. I want to share it with you tonight, because I believe it was from God. First of all, faith is caught. It's not taught. You can know the right stuff and not have faith. You know, I mean, the devils, they know. Satan probably can quote the Scripture better than you can. He doesn't have faith. The devils believe, they tremble, they don't have faith. But faith is transmitted when a person who has faith speaks that faith out. So, Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Then he goes on to say, How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they believe unless we send them? In other words... They can never believe if people who have faith never speak it out. That's what God says. I mean, that, I'm not claiming extra biblical revelation. The Lord just showed me that faith comes from faith. It's transmitted. It's like, it's like a disease, an airborne disease. When you sneeze and let it out and the flu jumps on somebody else, it's the same thing with faith. When you let it out, somebody else can catch it. Not everybody will. But the only way that faith is transmitted is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So we cannot receive faith without first hearing someone else declare it. That's why it's important for a preacher to believe what he's preaching. Because if I get up here and I preach stuff I don't believe, it ain't helping nobody. You can't catch faith from somebody who doesn't have faith. Be careful of the voices you listen to. You don't know what you're catching. But faith comes from hearing someone else declare it. It is transmitted by the tongue. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 9, there are three consecutive instances of faith declarations that came true. I was reading uh, in my Bible reading and this just jumped out. I'd never seen it. It just jumped out at me one day. I was reading Matthew 9 and and it's a passage I've preached on hundreds of times. It's one of my go-to. I love this chapter of Scripture. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. But in Matthew chapter 3, Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, listen, come lay thy hand on my daughter and she shall live. Somebody said that's a faith declaration. That's a faith declaration. Come lay thy hand on my daughter, she shall live. Then, as he's on his way to the daughter, there comes this woman in the press and she says within herself, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. That's a faith declaration. And guess what happened? Is when she touched the hem of his garment, she was made whole. 
She spoke it, then it came out in her life. It was a faith declaration. Not only that, but then Jesus comes to Jairus' house, and everybody says they're mourning and they're weeping and, and, and they're sad. And they say, Jesus, you're too late. She's already dead. And Jesus says, the damsel is not dead, but is only sleeping. That's a faith declaration. How do I know? Because she was dead. Jesus raised her from the dead. And so the Bible says that these three things happen in this passage of Scripture. And all three of them, it came to pass just as their faith had declared it to be. Do you want to know why? Because the object of faith was right. And when you have faith in Jesus, you can speak in faith. Lord, if you'll just touch my daughter, if you'll just lay your hand on her, she shall live. And you know what? Jarius was right. If he would lay his hand on her daughter, she would live. You know... The woman with the issue of blood, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Why? Because Jesus was the object of their faith. There are faith declarations that we need to make. We need to learn to speak faith and not speak doubt, not speak fear, not speak all these other things. We need to learn in situations. I love the little old lady that brought her son back to Elijah. And he says, what is wrong? She wouldn't even say it. She wouldn't even speak it. She says, it is well with my soul. That's all I can say right now. It is well with my soul. Was she really well? She was upset. But it was all right because she was claiming in faith that everything was going to be all right. She wasn't going to give life to doubt, to fear. Let me tell you something. If you don't believe that there is the ability to speak things in faith, you aren't reading your Bible. Jesus passes a fig tree that isn't producing. And he curses the fig tree. And the Bible says that a few days later, as they're on their way back out of town, the disciples see it and they marvel because they remember him cursing the fig tree, saying you'll never produce again. And here it is. It is withered from its roots up and it is dead. Jesus was able to speak things. And Jesus says to them that even so you, if you have just a mustard seed of faith, just a tiny bit of faith, so you can speak to the mountain and say, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and it shall be done for you. Am I saying to go around proclaiming, Lord? Amen. We're almost done anyways. But I I can speak things in my life that when I'm abiding in Him and when I'm close to Him and when I'm proclaiming faith in Him, that things can come to life. Proverbs 18.20 shows us that what we say determines what we see. And I'm not going to get to my last point, but that's okay. In the King James, uh, it says the power of life and death are in the tongue. Proverbs 18.20, wise words satisfy like a good meal, and the right words bring, listen to this, satisfaction. That's the good life. The tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The power of life and death are in the tongue. So when we speak, we give life to a thought. We will not be judged by every idle thought. Have you ever noticed this in Scripture? It doesn't say we'll be judged by every idle thought, because if we are, we're all in trouble. 
Because you thought about killing your kids this morning. (laughs) I know it's spring break. (laughs) But the scripture does tell us that we'll be judged by every idle word. I believe that judgment isn't talking about eternally, but also here and now. That when we speak these things, our words are shaping our life and the lives of those that we are speaking to. What a great ending point tonight. Is that our words are either bringing life or they are bringing death. They're either life producing life or death producing death. When I, the way that I speak to my spouse is either producing life in my marriage or death. The way that I speak to my kids is either life or death. It's in the power of the tongue. The things that you tell your children and say to your children, last with them. It's something that scares me to death because a lot of times I don't think before I speak. But hear me tonight that the good life is a life that is filled with words of faith. Peter tells us that even when we're verbally abused and reviled, we should speak blessing. Refrain from retaliation, from complaining, from giving voice to doubts and fears in the lives of the devil. And instead, we should speak life, we should speak faith, we should speak hope. We should declare things that are not as though they are. Speak mountains to be removed. Speak to the fig trees that aren't producing in your life. James 1 tells us that we should ask in faith without doubting. Because the one who doubts should expect to receive nothing. And so our words are impacting our outcome in life. Why? Why? Why does Peter say this? Peter says because the Lord's eyes are on the righteous and his ears are open in their prayers. In other words, God is listening to the words of our life. God is paying attention. And the good life is connected to the kinds of things that we're talking about. Therefore, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of a good report, think on these things. The stuff that we're talking about is killing the good life. God has abundant riches for His people. Somebody say, it's, it's in your walk. And it's also in your words. Let's stand together tonight. I'm coming to a close. I, I want to challenge you. I want to tell you. I'll tell you right quick what my third one was. My third one was it's in your worship. <laughs> I didn't get to get to it, but it's in your worship. Listen to this. I'm going to read you one scripture right here. Is Psalm 16. It says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence. There's fullness of joy. Somebody say it's in my walk. It's in my worship. And it's in my worship. You want to live the best life that God has for you? Live close to Jesus. Stop saying the wrong stuff. <laughs> Stop having the wrong conversations. Start speaking faith and speaking life and speaking hope. And start being a worshiper. Not just at home. Or, or not just at church, but at home. In the car. Start being a worshiper in the presence of God. Listen, is the fullness. It's the same word that, Jesus, that your joy may be full. Right? 
It's the same words that he The fullness of joy is in the presence of the Lord. And so we can find that through walking, through our words, and through our worship.